0: Section four of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Nelson. What is Property? An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre Joseph proudhon Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Chapter I First Memoir method pursued in this work the idea of a revolution part one if i were asked to answer the following question what is slavery and i should answer in one word it is murder my meaning would be understood at once no extended argument would be required to show that the power to take from a man his thought his will his personality is a power of life and death And that to enslave a man is to kill him why then to this other question what is property may i not likewise answer it is robbery without the certainty of being misunderstood the second proposition being no other than a transformation of the first i undertake to discuss the vital principle of our government and our institutions property i am in my right i may be mistaken in the conclusion which shall result from my investigations i am in my right i think best to place the last thought of my book first still am i in my right such an author teaches that property is a civil right born of occupation and sanctioned by law another maintains that it is a natural right originating in labor and both of these doctrines totally opposed as they may seem are encouraged and applauded i contend that neither labor nor occupation nor law can create property that it is an effect without a cause am i censurable but murmurs arise property is robbery that is the war cry of ninety three that is the signal of revolutions reader calm yourself i am no agent of discord no firebrand of sedition i anticipate history by a few days i disclose a truth whose development we may try in vain to arrest i write the preamble of our future constitution this proposition which seems to you blasphemous property is robbery would if our prejudice allowed us to consider it be recognized as the lightning rod to shield us from the coming thunderbolt, but too many interests stand in the way. Alas, philosophy will not change the course of events. Destiny will fulfill itself regardless of prophecy. Besides, must not justice be done and our education be finished? Property is robbery. What a revolution in human ideas! Proprietor and robber have been at all times expressions as contradictory as the beings whom they designate are hostile. All languages have perpetuated this opposition. On what authority, then, do you venture to attack universal consent and give the lie to the human race? Who are you that you should question the judgment of the nations and the ages? of what consequence to you reader is my obscure individuality i live like you in a century in which reason submits only to fact and to evidence my name like yours is truth seeker my mission is written in these words of law speak without hatred and without fear tell that which thou knowest the work of our race is to build the temple of science, and this science includes man and nature. Now truth reveals itself to all. Today to Newton and Pascal, tomorrow to the herdsman in the valley, and the journeyman in the shop. Each one contributes his stone to the edifice, and his task accomplished disappears. Eternity precedes us. Eternity follows us between two infinities. Of what account is one poor mortal that the century should inquire about him? Disregard then, reader, my title and my character, and attend only to my arguments. It is in accordance with universal consent that I undertake to correct universal error. From the opinion of the human race I appeal to its faith. Have the courage to follow me and if your will is untrammeled if your conscience is free if your mind can unite two propositions and deduce a third therefrom my ideas will inevitably become yours in beginning by giving you my last word it was my purpose to warn you not to defy you for i am certain that if you read me you will be compelled to assent the things of which I am to speak are so simple and clear that you will be astonished at not having perceived them before, and you will say, I have neglected to think. Others offer you the spectacle of genius, wresting nature's secrets from her, and unfolding before you her sublime messages. You will find here only a series of experiments upon justice and right A sort of verification of the weights and measures of your conscience. The operations shall be conducted under your very eyes, and you shall weigh the result. Nevertheless, I build no system. I ask an end to privilege, the abolition of slavery, equality of rights, and the reign of law. Justice, nothing else. That is the Alpha and Omega of my argument. To others I leave the business of governing the world. One day I asked myself, why is there so much sorrow and misery in society? Must man always be wretched, and not satisfied with explanations given by the reformers, these attributing the general distress to governmental cowardice and incapacity, those to conspirators and emmutes, still others to ignorance and general corruption and weary of the interminable quarrels of the tribune and the press i sought to fathom the matter myself i have consulted the masters of science i have read a hundred volumes of philosophy law political economy and history would to god that i had lived in a century in which so much reading had been useless i have made every effort to obtain exact information comparing doctrines, replying to objections, continually constructing equations and reductions from arguments, and weighing thousands of syllogisms in the scales of the most rigorous logic. In this laborious work I have collected many interesting facts which I shall share with my friends and the public as soon as I have leisure. But I must say that I recognized at once that we had never understood the meaning of these words so common and yet so sacred justice equality liberty that concerning each of these principles our ideas have been utterly obscure and in fact that this ignorance was the sole cause both of poverty that devours us and of all the calamities that have ever afflicted the human race my mind was frightened by this strange result i doubted my reason what said i that which i has not seen nor i heard nor insight penetrated you have discovered wretch mistake not the visions of your diseased brain for the truths of science do you not know great philosophers have said so that in points of practical morality universal error is a contradiction I resolved then to test my arguments. And in entering upon this new labor, I sought an answer to the following questions. Is it possible that humanity can have been so long and so universally mistaken in the application of moral principles? How and why could it be mistaken? How can its error, being universal, be capable of correction? These questions, on the solution of which depended the certainty of my conclusions, offered no lengthy resistance to analysis. It will be seen, in Chapter 5 of this work, that in morals, as in all other branches of knowledge, the gravest errors are the dogmas of science, that, even in the works of justice, to be mistaken is a privilege which ennobles man, and that whatever philosophical merit may attach to me is infinitely small. To name a thing is easy. The difficulty is to discern it before its appearance, in giving expression to the last stage of an idea, an idea which permeates all minds, which tomorrow will be proclaimed by another if I fail to announce it today. I can claim no merit save that of priority of utterance. Do we eulogize the man who first perceives the dawn? Yes, All men believe, and repeat, that equality of conditions is identical with equality of rights, that property and robbery are synonymous terms, that every social advantage accorded, or rather usurped, in the name of superior talent or service, is iniquity and extortion. All men in their hearts, I say, bear witness to these truths. They need only to be made to understand it. BEFORE ENTERING DIRECTLY UPON THE QUESTION BEFORE ME, I MUST SAY A WORD OF THE ROAD THAT I SHALL TRAVERSE. WHEN PASCAL APPROACHED A GEOMETRICAL PROBLEM, HE INVENTED A METHOD OF SOLUTION. TO SOLVE A PROBLEM IN PHILOSOPHY, A METHOD IS EQUALLY NECESSARY. WELL, BY HOW MUCH DO THE PROBLEMS OF WHICH PHILOSOPHY treats SURPASS IN THE GRAVITY OF THEIR RESULTS THOSE DISCUSSED BY GEOMETRY? How much more imperatively, then, do they demand for their solution a profound and rigorous analysis? It is a fact placed forever beyond doubt, say the modern psychologist, that every perception received by the mind is determined by certain general laws which govern the mind, is molded, so to speak, in certain types pre-existing in our understanding and which constitutes its original condition hence say they if the mind has no innate ideas it has at least innate forms thus for example every phenomenon is of necessity conceived by us as happening in time and space that compels us to infer a cause of its occurrence everything which exists implies the ideas of substance mode relation, number, etc. In a word, we form no idea which is not related to some one of the general principles of reason, independent of which nothing exists. These axioms of the understanding, add the psychologists, these fundamental types by which all our judgments and ideas are inevitably shaped, and which our sensations serve only to illuminate, Are known in the schools as categories. Their primordial existence in the mind is today demonstrated. They need only to be systematized and catalogued. Aristotle recognized ten. Kant increased the number to fifteen. Monsieur Cousin has reduced it to three, to two, to one, and the indisputable glory of this professor will be due to the fact that if he has not discovered the true theory of categories he has at least seen more clearly than anyone else the vast importance of this question the greatest and perhaps the only one with which metaphysics has to deal i confess that i disbelieve in the innateness not only of ideas But also of forms or laws of our understanding and i hold the metaphysics of reed and kant to be still farther removed from the truth than that of aristotle however as i do not wish to enter here into a discussion of the mind a task which would demand much labor and be of no interest to the public i shall admit the hypothesis that our most general and most necessary ideas, such as time, space, substance, and cause, exist originally in the mind, or at least are derived immediately from its constitution. But it is a psychological fact, none the less true, and one to which the philosophers have paid too little attention, that habit, like a second nature, has the power of fixing in the mind new categorical forms derived from the appearances which impress us and by them usually stripped of objective reality but whose influence over our judgments is no less predetermined than that of the original categories hence we reason by the eternal and absolute laws of our mind and at the same time by the secondary rules, ordinarily faulty, which are suggested to us by imperfect observation. This is the most fecund source of false prejudices, and the permanent and often invincible cause of a multitude of errors. The bias resulting from these prejudices are so strong that often, even when we are fighting against a principle which our mind thinks false, which is repugnant to our reason and which our conscience disapproves we defend it without knowing it we reason in accordance with it and we obey it while attacking it enclosed within a circle our mind revolves about itself until a new observation creating within us new ideas brings to view an external principle which delivers us from the phantom by which our imagination is possessed thus we know today that by the laws of a universal magnetism whose cause is still unknown two bodies no obstacle intervening tend to unite by an accelerated impelling force which we call gravitation it is gravitation which causes unsupported bodies to fall to the ground which gives them weight and which fastens us to the earth on which we live ignorance of this cause was the sole obstacle which prevented the ancients from believing in the antipodes. "'Can you not see,' said St. Augustine, after Lactantius, "'that, if there were men under our feet, their heads would point downward, and that they would fall into the sky?' The bishops of Hippo, who thought the earth was flat because it appeared so to the eye, supposed in the consequence that, if we should connect by straight lines the zenith with the nadir in different places these lines would be parallel with each other and in the direction of these lines he traced every movement from above to below thence he naturally concluded that the stars were rolling torches set in the vault of the sky that if left to themselves they would fall to the earth in a shower of fire that the earth was on one vast plain forming the lower portion of the world etc If he had been asked by what the world itself was sustained, he would have answered that he did not know, but that to God nothing is impossible. Such were the ideas of St. Augustine in regard to space and movement, ideas fixed within him by a prejudice derived from an appearance, and which had become with him a general and categorical rule of judgment. Of the reason why bodies fall his mind knew nothing, he could only say that a body falls because it falls with us the idea of a fall is more complex to the general ideas of space and movement which it implies we add that of attraction or direction towards a center which gives us the higher idea of cause but if physics has fully corrected our judgment in this respect we still make use of the prejudice of saint augustine And when we say that a thing has fallen, we do not mean simply, and in general, that there has been an effect of gravitation, but specially, and in particular, that it is towards the earth, and from above to below, that this movement has taken place. Our mind is enlightened in vain. The imagination prevails, and our language remains forever incorrigible. To descend from heaven, is as incorrect an expression as to mount to heaven, and yet this expression will live as long as men use language. All these phrases, from above to below, to descend from heaven, to fall from the clouds, etc., are henceforth harmless, because we know how to rectify them in practice. But let us deign to consider for a moment how much they have retarded the progress of science, if indeed it be a matter of little importance to statistics mechanics hydrodynamics and ballistics that the true cause of the fall of bodies should be known and that our ideas of the general movements in space should be exact it is quite otherwise when we undertake to explain the system of the universe the cause of tides the shape of the earth and its position in the heavens to understand these things we must leave the circle of appearances. In all ages there have been ingenious mechanicians, excellent architects, skillful artillerymen, any error into which it was possible for them to fall in regard to the rotundity of the earth and gravitation, in no wise retarded the development of their art. The solidity of their buildings and accuracy of their aim was not affected by it. But sooner or later, they were forced to grapple with phenomena, which the supposed parallelism of all perpendiculars erected from the earth's surface rendered inexplicable, then also commenced a struggle between the prejudices, which for centuries had sufficed in daily practice, and the unprecedented opinions which the testimony of the eyes seemed to contradict. Thus, on one hand, the falsest judgments, whether based on isolated facts or only on appearances, always embrace some truths whose sphere, whether large or small, affords room for a certain number of inferences, beyond which we fall into absurdity. The ideas of St. Augustine, for example, contain the following truths, that bodies fall towards the earth that they fall in a straight line, that either the sun or the earth moves, that either the sky or the earth turns, etc. These general facts always have been true. Our science has added nothing to them. But, on the other hand, it being necessary to account for everything, we are obliged to seek for principles more and more comprehensive. That is why we have had to abandon successively first the opinion that the world was flat, then the theory which regards it as stationary center of the universe, etc. If we pass now from physical nature to the moral world, we still find ourselves subject to the same deceptions of appearance, to the same influences of spontaneity and habit. But the distinguished feature of this second division of our knowledge is, on the one hand, the good or the evil, which we derive from our opinions, and, on the other, the obstinacy with which we defend the prejudice which is tormenting and killing us. Whatever theory we embrace in regard to the shape of the earth and the cause of its weight, the physics of the globe does not suffer. And, as for us, our social economy can derive therefrom neither profit nor damage. But it is in us and through us that the laws of our moral nature work. Now, these laws cannot be executed without our deliberate aid, and consequently, unless we know them. If, then, our science of moral laws is false, it is evident that, while desiring our own good, we are accomplishing our own evil. If it is only incomplete it may suffice for a time for our social progress but in the long run it will lead us into a wrong road and will finally precipitate us into an abyss of calamities then it is that we need to exercise our highest judgments and be it said to our glory they are never found wanting but then also commences a furious struggle between old prejudices and new ideas. Days of conflagration and anguish. We are told of the time when, with the same beliefs, with the same institutions, all the world seemed happy. Why complain of these beliefs? Why banish these institutions? We are slow to admit. THAT THAT HAPPY AGE SERVED THE PRECISE PURPOSE OF DEVELOPING THE PRINCIPLE OF EVIL WHICH LAY DORMANT IN SOCIETY. WE ACCUSE MEN AND GODS, THE POWERS OF EARTH AND THE FORCES OF NATURE. INSTEAD OF SEEKING THE CAUSE OF THE EVIL IN HIS MIND AND HEART, MAN BLAMES HIS MASTERS, HIS RIVALS, HIS NEIGHBORS, AND HIMSELF. NATIONS ARM THEMSELVES AND SLAY AND EXTERMINATE EACH OTHER until equilibrium is restored by the vast depopulation and peace again rises from the ashes of the combatants. So loath is humanity to touch the customs of its ancestors and to change the laws framed by the founders of communities and confirmed by the faithful observance of the ages. Nehil motum ex antiquo probabili est. Distrust all innovations, wrote. Titus Livius. Undoubtedly, it would be better were man not compelled to change. But what? Because he is born ignorant? Because he exists only on condition of gradual self-instruction? Must he abjure the light? Abdicate his reason? And abandon himself to fortune? Perfect health is better than convalescence. Should the sick man, therefore, refuse to be cured? Reform! Reform! cried, ages since, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Reform, reform, cried our fathers, fifty years ago, and for a long time to come, we shall shout, Reform, reform. Seeing the misery of my age, I said to myself, among the principles that support society, there is one which it does not understand, which its ignorance has vitiated, and which causes all the evil that exists. THIS PRINCIPLE IS THE MOST ANCIENT OF ALL, FOR IT IS A CHARACTERISTIC OF REVOLUTIONS TO TEAR DOWN THE MOST MODERN PRINCIPLES, AND TO RESPECT THOSE OF LONG-STANDING. NOW THE EVIL BY WHICH WE SUFFER IS ANTERIOR TO ALL REVOLUTIONS. THIS PRINCIPLE, IMPAIRED BY OUR IGNORANCE, IS HONORED AND CHERISHED, FOR IF IT WERE NOT CHERISHED, IT WOULD HARM NOBODY. IT WOULD BE WITHOUT INFLUENCE but this principle right in its purpose but misunderstood this principle as old as humanity what is it can it be religion all men believe in god this dogma belongs at once to their conscience and their mind to humanity god is a fact as primitive an idea as inevitable a principle as necessary as are the categorical ideas of cause substance time In space to our understanding God is proven to us by the conscience prior to any inference of the mind just as the Sun is proven to us by the testimony of the senses prior to all the arguments of physics we discover phenomena and laws by observation and experience only this deeper sense reveals to us existence humanity believes that God is but in believing in God what does it believe in a word what is god the nature of this notion of divinity this primitive universal notion born in the race the human mind has not yet fathomed at each step that we take in our investigation of nature and of causes the idea of god is extended and exalted the farther science advances the more god seems to grow and broaden anthropomorphism and idolatry constituted of necessity the faith of the mind in its youth the theology of infancy and posy a harmless error if they had not endeavored to make it a rule of conduct and if they had been wise enough to respect the liberty of thought but having made god in his own image man wished to appropriate him still farther not satisfied with disfiguring the almighty he treated him as his patrimony, his goods, his possessions. God, pictured in monstrous forms, became throughout the world the property of man and of the state. Such was the origin of the corruption of morals by religion, and the source of pious feuds and holy wars. Thank heaven! We have learned to allow every one his own beliefs. We seek for moral laws outside the pale of religion instead of legislating as to the nature and attributes of god the dogmas of theology and the destiny of our souls we wisely wait for science to tell us what to reject and what to accept god soul religion eternal objects of our unwearied thought and of our most fatal aberrations terrible problems whose solution forever attempted forever remains unaccomplished Concerning all these questions, we may still be mistaken, but at least our error is harmless. With liberty in religion, and the separation of the spiritual from the temporal power, the influence of religious ideas upon the progress of society is purely negative. No law, no political, or civil institution being founded on religion. Neglect of duties imposed by religion may increase the general corruption. But it is not the primary cause, it is only an auxiliary or result. It is universally admitted, and especially in the manner which now engages our attention, that the cause of the inequality of conditions among men, of pauperism, of universal misery, and of governmental embarrassments, can no longer be traced to religion. We must go farther back and dig still deeper. But what is there in man older and deeper than the religious sentiment there is man himself that is volition and conscience free will and law eternally antagonistic man is at war with himself why man say the theologians transgressed in the beginning our race is guilty of an ancient offense for this transgression humanity Has fallen. Error and ignorance have become its sustenance. Read history. You will find universal proof of this necessity for evil in the permanent misery of nations. Man suffers and always will suffer. His disease is hereditary and constitutional. Use palliatives. Employ emollients. There is no remedy. Nor is this argument peculiar to the theologians we find it expressed in equivalent language in the philosophical writings of the materialists, believer in infinite perfectibility. Destit de Tracy teaches formally that poverty, crime, and war are the inevitable conditions of our social state, necessary evils against which it would be folly to revolt. So call it necessity of evil or original depravity. It is at the bottom of the same philosophy. The first man transgressed. If the votaries of the Bible interpreted it faithfully, they would say, man originally transgressed, that is, made a mistake. For to transgress, to fail, to make a mistake, all mean the same thing. The consequences of Adam's transgression are inherited by the race the first ignorance truly the race like the individual is born ignorant but in regard to a multitude of questions even in the moral and political spheres this ignorance of the race has been dispelled who says that it will not depart altogether mankind makes continual progress toward truth and light ever triumphs over darkness our disease is not then absolutely incurable and the theory of the theologians is worse than inadequate it is ridiculous since it is reducible to this tautology man errs because he errs while the true statement is this man errs because he learns now if man arrives at a knowledge of all that he needs to know it is reasonable to believe that ceasing to err he will cease to suffer but if we question the doctors as to this law said to be engraved upon the heart of man we shall immediately see that they dispute about a matter which they know nothing that concerning the most important questions they are almost as many opinions as authors that we find no two agreeing as to the best form of government the principle of authority and the nature of right that all sail haphazard upon a shoreless and bottomless sea abandoned to the guidance of their private opinions which they modestly take to be right reason and in view of this medley of contradictory opinions we say the object of our investigations is the law the determination of the social principle now the politicians that is the social scientists do not understand each other then the error lies in themselves and as every error has a reality for its object We must look in their books to find the truth which they have unconsciously deposited there. Now of what do the lawyers and the publicists treat? Of justice, equity, liberty, natural law, civil law, etc., but what is justice? What is its principle, its character, its formula? To this question our doctors evidently have no reply for otherwise their science starting with a principle clear and well defined would quit the region of probabilities and all disputes would end what is justice the theologians answer all justice comes from god that is true but we know no more than before the philosophers ought to be better informed they have argued so much about justice and injustice unhappily an examination proves that their knowledge amounts to nothing and that with them as with the savages whose every prayer to the sun is simply oh oh it is a cry of admiration love and enthusiasm but who does not know that the sun attaches little meaning to the interjection oh that is exactly our position towards the philosophers in regard to justice justice they say is a daughter of heaven a light which illuminates every man that comes into the world the most beautiful prerogative of our nature that which distinguishes us from the beasts and likens us to god and a thousand other similar things what i ask does this pious litany amount to to the prayer of the savages Oh. All the most reasonable teachings of human wisdom concerning justice are summed up in that famous adage, Do unto others that which you would that others should do unto you. Do not unto others that which you would not that others should do unto you. But this rule of moral practice is unscientific. What have I a right to wish that others should do or not do to me? It is of no use to tell me that my duty is equal to my right unless i am told at the same time what my right is let us try to arrive at something more precise and positive justice is the central star which governs societies the pole around which the political world revolves the principle and the regulator of all transactions nothing takes place between men save in the name of right, nothing without the invocation of justice. Justice is not the work of the law. On the contrary, the law is only a declaration and application of justice in all circumstances where men are liable to come in contact. If, then, the idea that we form of justice and right were ill-defined, if it were imperfect or even false, it is clear that all our legislative applications would be wrong our institutions vicious our politics erroneous consequently there would be disorder and social chaos this hypothesis of the perversion of justice in our minds and as a necessary result in our acts becomes a demonstrated fact when it is shown that the opinions of men have not borne a constant relation To the notion of justice and its applications that at different periods they have undergone modifications in a word that there has been progress in ideas now that is what history proves by the most overwhelming testimony end of chapter one part one recording by mike nelson